0: Welcome to Bench Essentials, where we don't inject you with an animal tranquilizer and force you to re-examine all the mistakes you've made in your life. This is your host, David Rocha, and with me, of course, is Romeo Mora. Typically joining us is another guest, but for today's show, it's just going to be myself and Romeo. So who's the guest today? Well, that's going to be me for today's program so i'm passing the reins over to romeo to play host and romeo take it away
1: today's podcast is dedicated to dexter dexter is an american crime drama mystery television series that aired on showtime 2006 to 2013 in miami the series centers on dexter morgan played by michael c hall a forensic technician specializing in blood stain pattern analysis for the fictional Miami Metro Police Department who leads a secret parallel life as a vigilante serial killer hunting down murderers who have slipped through the cracks of the justice system. What made you David? want to start watching this show?
0: Well, you said it right there in the middle there where Dexter Morgan, who is a serial killer who's going after serial killers. And that really intrigued me because that sounds like nothing that I've heard on television before. And when I first heard about the show, it actually just finished up three seasons when I was having friends and seeing online message boards telling me that the show was really good. And these are back in the day, MySpace days, right? When Those types of message boards. (laughs) Uh, The premise, yeah, it just sounded really Really interesting and And with it being three seasons in already this gave me an opportunity to have a really good binge uh, before the fourth season started. That's what really brought me in was just hearing about how this character who is hiding in plain sight, working for the very people who put people like him in jail and is played by an actor who I never watched Six Feet Under but I heard nothing but great things and especially his performance. I thought, well this must be a pretty good show.
1: just to be clear you never jumped in you start from the beginning with your bench correct yeah correct okay so well, some of us end up watching one episode like from season three and then kind of backtrack back so i like i like to, to ask these questions just to see where you were in your journey when you begin your journey with a show
0: well i never i never had showtime so i was watching these on the internet i was finding them on the oh, internet any way i could
1: so were there clips that you saw on the internet that, that made you say, like, I got to find a way to watch this series?
0: No, actually, I never even watched a trailer or clips. Oh, wow. I just I just went in completely blind off of what everyone was telling me.
1: Okay. So a lot of big spoiler things happen in season one, two, leading up especially, up, especially up to leading up to season, to season four. Were you ever spoiled?
0: Oh, no, no, no. This None. is a
1: rarity, too, by the way. This is a big rarity.
0: Well, and let's not forget, this was still. Sure, there was this is the early days of internet. Well, I shouldn't say early days of internet, but this was the mid to late 2000s. So we're talking about a time when yes, there's MySpace, but Twitter wasn't exactly a big deal yet mm-hmm. so it wasn't spoiling things for people you kind of had to go out of your way
1: oh i remember to those get days really
0: spoiled right you remember re- those days
1: yes there were dedicated websites for spoilers mm-hmm. that had connections to insiders in hollywood that will leak like script pages yes i remember <laughs> those days
0: they were good days
1: <laughs> the, good, the good old days, we had to do some actual research where IMDb actually had message boards. All right, so let's go on to um, the pilot. First episode, what automatically had you hooked?
0: Being a radio guy and hearing Michael C. Hall's voice doing the narration for throughout the series, but hearing it in this first episode... I thought, wow, something about his voice just kind of really sold me on the character because it opens with him driving in a car in the Miami streets, narrating how tonight's the night, he's got that itch that needs to be scratched. You know, he's, he's, he's gonna go kill somebody. Kill a bad person. And this bad person is someone who is a, I believe he was a choir teacher who um, murdered three boys. And so Dexter dug up the bodies and showed them in front of him and then knocks him out and, and, and murders him. The rest is history. So right off the bat, you get to see his entire kill method within the first 10, 15 minutes of the show. You learn about the rules of the code that Dexter goes by when he's doing his killings. Rule number one, don't get caught. Rule number two, never kill an innocent. Rule number three, targets must be killers who have evaded the justice system. And those are the big main rules. Rules one and two, there's sort of a contradiction between the two. Dexter should never kill an innocent, but he should also never get caught. So he has been presented in situations when innocent people discover who he is. So in theory... He shouldn't try to get caught under any circumstances, so he should kill these innocent people. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a weird contradiction there. So he has to make the tough decisions on his own, and that's when you really get to see the the true character of him. Understanding that, sure, this guy is willing to take a life. He's not willing to take a life if he's able to avoid it. He doesn't want to just kill for the sake of killing. And then there's other rules that are pretty self-explanatory, like blending socially fake emotions and normality urges to kill and channel them be prepared leave no traces or evidence never make a scene stay calm and collected don't make things personal because it clouds judgment all of those are pretty simple rules that you can kind of see through the character he's not just a guy who kills for the sake of killing he does have a code he follows that code and you see it in the first episode and you see him battle having to follow the code throughout the entire series it makes for interesting television
1: the way the show lays out the code it sort of gives the audience permission to root for this man when in all reality we shouldn't he's a serial killer but the creators did an awesome job in the sense of giving you reasons where you can overlook those dark tendencies where in normal society we would say this is repulsive but there's enough complexity enough of these this gray area where you can sort of justify why he's doing what he's doing because I guess our own rationale is for the greater good he's not really necessarily going after innocent people like all the other killers in this world he's going after the bad people and you have to give the show credit it's really hard for you to come up with a compelling character where you can sort of justify rooting for essentially a bad person.
0: It's hard to know if, I don't know, would you say that's good writing or would you say that maybe they got a little lucky? How how would you say?
1: It's kind of like lightning in a bottle. A lot of those characterization or rather characteristics, are sort of like the warning signs, the red flags for people. It's a combination of the writing and the right actor because I think a miss cast actor in this role i don't think would have resonated with audience the way that it does with um yeah michael c hall i'm like wait i was about to say someone else's name like that's the (laughs) actor's name but i think the casting of michael c hall in this particular role there's something about him that allows us to be like Okay, we can go on this ride and not always double guessing ourselves that we should be rooting for this person. If it was a different actor, I don't know if audiences would fall in love with uh, Dexter.
0: True. It is the approachability. I think when you see Michael C. Hall, you do see someone who is approachable. If you cast somebody who has a look that may be too intense, like let's say Michael Keaton in the first Batman. Let's say you use his look and you substitute that for Michael C. Hall and Dexter. You look at that guy... (laughs) <laughs> and, you, and you think, this guy must must be up to something, you know? So it is all about appearances.
1: Well, true, because it reminds me of uh, Dahmer. People are like, oh, he's nice. Or the BTK killer, where they're just mild-mannered guys. And you're right. If they were to do, like, a later-in-life Charlie Manson type of look, that wouldn't work for the show.
0: Definitely not. In this same episode, you see his work life, and they also show you a character by the name of uh, Sergeant James Dokes, played by Eric King. This character doesn't like Dexter at all. He just thinks he's weird and thinks there's something up with him. Like, there's someone like this, there's no way they are as nice and likable as everyone else seems to think he is. Dexter's always been able to put up a pretty good mask, but there's this one guy at the police department who feels the total opposite. So right away, they're setting you up that this guy is going to be a thorn on Dexter's side, not only in season one, but in season two. So that actually got me excited knowing that that was going to be this underlying plot throughout the season. So another thing about the pilot, you, you meet Rita. Rita is Dexter's girlfriend. The reason he likes having Rita is because, as he says, she's just as damaged as I am. Rita was a victim of spousal abuse. So she has trust issues, but she feels comfortable with Dexter because Dexter is so disconnected from just natural emotion, you know, like he's not interested in sex (laughs) at first. So it's easy for someone who was a victim of of abuse (laughs) to be attracted to somebody who's not interested in sex, just more interested in just being there watching TV or just going out to dinner a few times you know just and and not going to make a pass at you or not think that doing this is going to lead to this so it's, it's kind of funny because there's something really wholesome about julie benz in in this character which is really cool because if you watch julie benz before dexter you always think of her as darla from buffy. As darla from buffy yeah so there's like some she's like a nemesis you know you don't you don't really yeah. think of a, a someone who be a mom with two kids you know but she she fits the role so well and and she actually became a a pretty big fan favorite for a lot of people, you know. Everybody really rooted for Rita and wanted to be the best for Rita. And there was a time where you really believed that Dexter was best for Rita. And some could argue that he is the best for Rita, but man, that could be a whole other podcast,
1: right? <laughs> Yeah, I, like, I, I would say that um julie benz is kind of like the most underrated actress because i feel like every time she's on a show she kind of sort of elevates the show a bit
0: i agree with that i think she's a really really good tv actor that you wish would pop up a lot in your own favorite tv shows but she doesn't at least for me she doesn't really pop up in my favorite tv shows uh-huh. i think to this day the only thing i really consistently saw her on was dexter i i can't, I can't uh-huh. even think of another show
1: she was on defiance i believe on sci-fi okay for like two three seasons well I was on the air, but yeah, she does the occasional guest spot here and there. Mm-hmm. but sometimes you're like, you kind of like, oh, there's Darla.
0: Yeah, she's just one of those good working actors mm-hmm. who landed on something that was really special, and she really loved playing the character as well. So she has the two kids, Astor and Cody. Astor and Cody, in the books, actually turn into serial killers. That Dexter oh. trains. Yeah, <laughs> totally different direction. I will say right up front that that does not happen in the show. They're just good kids that Dexter. Really Really likes in general. Dexter likes kids because they're innocent, mm-hmm. you know. It, like and and he hates anything that could ever happen to kids. And they show that in the very first episode. Uh, like I just explained with his first victim this choir teacher who murdered three kids you know so he doesn't want anything bad to happen to kids because something bad happened to him when he was a kid so why would he want that as an adult if he can prevent it so there's something about that connection between him and Cody and Astor that I really really enjoy you see these things in the first episode and and you say to yourself okay so this guy's not a loner this guy has work buddies has a girlfriend he has a sister who is probably is also his best friend and Deborah Morgan so he is able to build a life. There is hope for this guy. You, he likes to say how he's emotionless and everything is fake and, you know, and all of that. But when you see what he's able to put together in the first episode, you say to yourself, well, to some extent you do care a little bit about some people, about some things. So, it, it, it kind of leaves that as like a dangling fruit so that to kind of help you uh, keep going with the series and hoping that Dexter actually develops emotions.
1: Which is a little dangerous too, because I mean, there is a lot of humanizing of this character. And I feel like that's sort of like the Allure and Trap that the writer set up for you I mean like I said it before there are a lot of serial killers throughout our history in America alone where you do have the exterior that they're projecting out into the world is just like Dexter it's just the only difference is we don't get to see what they do when they're when they're not out in the world projecting this falsehood
0: exactly thirdly what the pilot really sold me on is that they set up the villain for the rest of the season with the ice truck killer in a way that That him and Dexter were going to have this little cat and mouse game as the season went along. It it, it seemed like the ice truck killer was reaching out to Dexter personally. He seems to know who Dexter is, who he really is. And that idea was really intriguing to me because it's like, well, there's a personal connection there if that's the case. So uh, it, it just got me excited. I had to see how it was going to play out. So overall, I just thought it was just an excellent pilot. They did a really good job with it to really drive you in. And, and honestly, it's the type of show I know people say like, well, if you have to give it a few episodes. But for me, it's like if you're not on board after the first episode, then you're probably not going to like the rest of the season. This pilot gives you everything right up front so that you know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, you have a corpse in an empty swimming pool that is completely drained of blood. I mean, if that doesn't get your spine tingling of wanting to know more, I don't know what what does.
1: So I guess it did a promotion, I guess, early on after like the first season of Dexter where they played it on CBS. And of course, they edit it for network television.
0: That's right. I believe this was during the writer's strike, right? So they were starving for content. So they had to have Dexter fill in some time slots.
1: So I thought, okay, maybe this would be an easy way in for me. No. And I feel like the blood makes it so much more horrifying, the lack of blood. Because with blood, it kind of it almost doesn't make it as real as the way it is with without it. So you can really get all of that detail of what happened to that body. That's probably one of the most iconic shots from the show.
0: I know I agree. I agree. Either at that point if you're either in or you're out. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was out. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I was understandable out. understandable i get it i get it but for me no i was like oh no i'm on board
1: usually i have this theory as an avid tv watcher that i think after one or like after two three episodes you just said whether or not you're in for the entire first season let alone entire series like for you at one point at the series like during the first season we are like i'm in because you binge this so obviously you had to make a decision at this point
0: I mean, I was pretty sold already a few episodes in, but um, when we find out the identity of the Ice Truck Killer, which is a uh, season season one, episode eight, it's called mm-hmm. Shrink Wrap, and we don't learn it until the very end of the episode. But when you find out who it is, and you don't even know the full story about who exactly who he is, but... Knowing him in the context of what we've seen so far in the season, when you find out who he is, you're just like, oh, wow, he has really infiltrated himself into Dexter's life now. At that point, I'm like, I got to see how this plays out. And in season one, episode 12, the season finale, Born Free, I was not disappointed to learn who the ice truck killer was and how he was connected to Dexter and what was at stake in that season finale between the two characters. Dexter is presented himself with an opportunity to, and as the title of the episode suggests, Born Free, be free of everything that he is tethered to that keeps him human. So it's a huge emotional decision. It's the biggest decision that he's made to this point in the series. And if he does what is asked of him, then you're going to get a completely different series from here on out. In this climatic moment, there's always something at stake whether or not he does it. So it makes it for really compelling television to really wrap up the first season. I personally really enjoyed it. It was my favorite moment of the first season. And sure, you have to get to the season finale to have that favorite moment, but that's exactly what it's all culminated to. So it's just a lot of great payoffs.
1: Nice. What were some of the um, high points That just completely blew you away and you realize that, okay, this is the beginning of prestige television at its finest because it was.
0: And a horror thriller at that. Oh yeah. To be classed in with this golden age prestige television. Some of the highlights I say for me always is Dexter. I mean, anything involving Dexter for me is always the best parts of the show. There's all these supporting characters that at some point I'll talk about that never can Sell me on a scene as well as Dexter. And I don't know if one could say that's a fault of the show, but for me, that's just how I felt about the whole situation. But his altercations with the big bad, the season's big bad, was always great for me. In season two, even though Sergeant Doakes isn't a villain, he is someone who is stalking Dexter, trying to figure him out. At one point, Dexter gets him thinking that the reason Dexter is the way he is is because he's actually a drug addict. But through conversation later from other characters, Dokes goes back on the stalking trail for Dexter. And eventually there even becomes a situation where the two literally butt heads in the workplace. And it's a crazy situation because right there and then, just for a moment, Doakes sees Dexter for who he really is. And the way Dexter is able to manipulate and mess with dokes to a point where dokes gets suspended i know that's a little bit of a spoiler but it's it's it it doesn't really ruin anything so i'm uh, that's why i wanted to mention it it's it's a wonderfully thrilling confrontation that you've been waiting for for a long time and the two of them even get in a little bit of a fight towards the end of season one when dexter is looking for a character. And has one of those iconic lines from Sergeant dokes where he comes out of nowhere and says to Dexter surprise motherfucker. <laughs> and it's just one of the, not only is it one of the best lines in the series, it's just one of the best lines in television over the last 15 years. <laughs> Anyone
1: channeling... who's watched
0: Dexter, if you say surprise motherfucker to them, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. If they watch Dexter,
1: he's channeling his inner Sam Jackson.
0: <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. You
1: know, so I feel like I should bring up um, John Lithgow as Arthur uh, Mitchell.
0: Yes. And, that, and and that's another one I was I was planning to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, with the altercations that he has with villains, he has a couple good ones with Arthur mm-hmm. Mitchell played by John Lithgow. The best work I've seen John Lithgow ever do. I know, I guess he's done some drama back in the 80s, like pre Third Rock from the Sun mm-hmm. days, but I was never familiar with it with it. My first exposure to John Lithgow was Third Rock from the Sun. And from there, all I really knew him from was comedies. So to see him in the season premiere of season four, naked in the bathroom, <laughs> waiting to prey on his victim, to murder his victim, was a little bit of a jarring and unexpected moment for me that it's one hell of an introduction for your main antagonist for season four, but it's another one knowing that is John Lithgow, that he's all in on this character, that gets you really excited and, uh, he's such a odd character and who's experienced a traumatic event that made him the way he is and Dexter thinking that he can actually get something out of this character but keeping him alive actually made things worse not just for him but for potentially other people Uh, their back and forth was was really interesting and another villain uh, in season 3 played by Jimmy Smith's uh, Miguel Prada who was a uh, assistant district attorney for Miami he is another one where it was like Dexter kind of takes him in and they become best friends, but after a while, you kind of come to realize that Miguel is more of like a wild dog. One of the best scenes of the season, they have this altercation on on the rooftop of just kind of trying to flex her power and, and Dexter who is just so cool, calm and collected and and Miguel who again is like this rabid dog that needs to be put down. It's great. So yeah, anytime that he's at a true altercation with a villain or or someone getting in his way, it's uh it's compelling television for me.
1: Is Is there one particular episode that you would show someone to sort of pique their interest into into going um, all in on this series?
0: This one's a little tough. I'm actually going to say no, because all the seasons kind of intertwine. There's no standalone episodes. There's no concept episodes. It's all pretty straightforward and well-structured. So... If I'm going to have them give the show a shot, they're going to watch the pilot, plain and simple.
1: So we all know series have their low points. Were there times throughout the entire run? You you might start having doubts that you may not follow through to the potential end of the series.
0: For a long time, I'd never felt that way. I thought seasons one through four were pretty airtight. I know some people aren't as fond of season three as the other from that four season stretch. But I like season three a lot because it almost tried to keep Dexter distracted with Miguel, his new best friend, like literally his new best friend, and focus a little bit more on Deb's developments played by Jennifer Carpenter, Dexter's adopted sister. It gave her an opportunity to grow in a way where you got to see that she does have real value as a police detective, even ways where I was like, oh, that's impressive. That was actually a pretty good catch. So yeah, it, it gave an opportunity for that character to grow. So when I think of that, it, it makes me appreciate season three a lot, especially on a second viewing. Season five, you know, Julia Stiles is not the strongest actor, <laughs> but she's, she's definitely serviceable for what she did in that season. I personally liked it. I think it's a pretty good season. Season six, it starts towards to get a little touch and go. And then season seven and eight is where it really just starts to get frustrating seven has some good points because ray stevenson is in the season and he plays a uh, ukrainian mobster who is out to get revenge on dexter that's compelling stuff because that's a totally different angle what we've seen on the show before and he played the character so well what a great actor ray stevenson is by the way but yeah regardless it started to have some cracks uh in in seasons six through eight you know and, and you know what it's hard it's hard for a show to be that good for eight seasons you know how many shows can you count on one hand or that are high quality for eight seasons it's difficult it really is i don't know if i can
1: name five shows so let's say someone doesn't want to commit to the entire series i mean after all it is eight seasons and there's 96 episodes someone has to commit to do you have a recommended viewing order to help with the experience and are there like episodes or seasons? one could skip and still get the full Dexter experience.
0: I don't think there's episodes in seasons that you could skip. There is though a stretch of seasons that you can watch and then decide that you don't need to keep watching anymore. So like I mentioned before, seasons one through four are just fantastic. I, I think they're must watch television and I definitely think you should invest in the time to watch it. Now, season 4 there's they're in this event that happens at the end of the season that really blows you away the first time you watch it. And if you've never seen this show before, you don't know much about Dexter, I'm not going to say what it is because, and, and if you don't know what it is, more power to you because it is something FEMA's that's spoiled. <laughs> revelation yeah yeah it's it's absolutely huge and me building it up you could probably figure it out by the time if you do decide to watch it what that might be (laughs) but anyways the events of what happened at the end of that season trickle into season five and this was the first time that something that big happened to finish off a season and it affected the following season before it was like each season is pretty conclusive you know and and i and i think they did a really good job with that when you watch season five you do get what I would say is a pretty good conclusion to Dexter's story if you are on the side that you don't want to see Dexter get caught. There is that fan base that wanted Dexter to get caught because he's a serial killer. You know, sure, he's good looking, he's charming. It's understandable that you are rooting for him. I rooted for him. I never wanted him to get caught. Sure, I'm, I'll be selfish and say that. It's just a TV show after all. But there is the base that's like, no, this guy is a serial killer. This guy's dangerous. He needs to be arrested. I don't care if he's going after murderers, you know? Like, it's not his his job to do the police's work. <laughs> I know it's starting to sound like a superhero movie now, but that's but that's what it is. He's a vigilante. He's doing the police's work, the police's job. So, I guess the best way to put it is let's say you have a neighbor and you stumble upon finding out that they're a serial killer but they're only killing bad people, are you still going to turn this person in even though you know they're only killing bad people? And even for me, I'm rooting for Dexter in the show and everyone to get caught. If I'm in that situation in real life, I'm 100% calling the police and getting, making sure this person gets arrested because what if this person decides to change his code and wants to murder me? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. I don't want that obviously. From that fan's perspective I can see why they wanted Dexter to get caught. But let's say you don't want him to get caught. Then I would say at the conclusion of season 5 really wraps up Dexter's story in a way where it kind of gives you closure and if you stopped watching after that I think you would be satisfied. If you want to go beyond season 5 I just have to warn you that season 6 is a bit hit and miss. 7 is mostly a miss though as I mentioned before Ray Stevenson is really great and Eight season eight, I'm sorry, is just not good. Uh, There's a lot of plot convenience and just other nonsense that I just can't get on board with. And I understand there's YouTube videos out there that explains the conclusion of Dexter to a point where you can kind of understand the story arc of, of what they were doing. But I just made a note of this because it is important to point out here as to why maybe after season five, things started to get a little messy. So the main creative forces behind the series where executive producers Daniel Cerrone uh, Clyde Phillips and Melissa Rosenberg. Melissa Rosenberg, people might recognize the name. She was a screenwriter for all the Twilight movies. She helped showrun Jessica Jones. Cerone left after its second season, but that's okay because they still had Phillips and Rosenberg on board, showrunning, writing some episodes. Phillips, though, being the showrunner, he did depart the series after season four, which was pretty crazy. He, the reason he did it was because he wanted to spend time with his family, but season four was a record-breaking season. Michael C. Hall and John Lithgow, won golden globes for their performances everybody was mind blown by the season finale it was peaking absolutely peaking so to see phillips leave so that he can spend time with his family brought some caution with that melissa rosenberg wasn't the showrunner after season four instead it was 24 co-executive producer chip Johannisson who took over phillips's job the other problem is Rosenberg actually left after season four. So suddenly you have a new showrunner and some new writers on board. It breathes an air of caution. So after the conclusion of season five, which again, I actually liked, I know some people didn't like it, but I did. Chip Johannesson was relieved to be leaving the show after a single run. And Romeo, you're going to love this. Uh Scott Buck took over as showrunner from season six onward. Who is Scott Buck, you might ask? This is the very guy Marvel put in charge of Iron Fist and Inhumans. And we all know how that ended.
1: Mm, We'll get to those shows somewhere down the line.
0: (laughs) Maybe, maybe. So Scott Buck, he has a history of writing some good episodes, not only in Dexter, but in his previous work in his career. So he's not completely hopeless. But as a showrunner, it is absolutely not his strong suit. And you see it in Dexter, and, and when you see an indexer you're actually kind of amazed he even got the jobs for Iron fist in Inhumans, you know so that's why I say you need to be cautious if you want to continue after season five
1: well it's a shame because he was behind Rome and um, six feet under right like he had like he wrote a lot of great stuff he maybe has. we like him as a Staff writer, not so much as a showrunner.
0: But but you're absolutely right. He has a lot of great credits to his name. No one can take that away from him. But boy, when he misses, he misses hard.
1: <laughs> Which, just to jump on what you said about um, final season, the scene, you talked about how they sort of went out of their way. Many people went out of their way. Sort of, we wouldn't call them apologist for season eight. I think you're right in the sense that if you have to explain your season finale or your series finale, then there's something wrong with the writing and the execution. Do you still think that series finale is worth watching?
0: I mean, in hindsight, I would say no. Mm -hmm. And I did have a second watch. You know how sometimes when you watch something the first time and you Mm -hmm. look and you think, you know what, I didn't really like that. But then upon second viewing, you start to pick up on things you missed the first time and you realize, oh, you know what, this actually isn't as bad as I remembered it being. For me on the second viewing when I watched it, because I watched the final season uh, alone, I used to watch the show with a friend of mine, but he moved away so and he kind of fallen off watching. Watching it. He did wind up finishing it like a few years after it was over, and texting me about it how mad he was. But I was rewatching the show with my wife because she hadn't seen it before, and she was really enjoying it. And I kind of warned her. I said, "Let me let me give you a warning before we start season eight. You might not like it because I didn't like it for the most part. As we're watching it, I, I instead of picking up things that I missed the first time that helped me look at the season in a better light, I picked up things that actually made me more angry upon the second viewing. Honestly, I don't think it's worth it. I really." think if you are going to watch this show it really is in your best interest to stop on season five because what happens at the end of season six trickles into what happens in seven and eight so if you see what happens in six you got to see what happens in seven and eight otherwise you're not going to have the closure you need with the show that you already get if you stop at the end of season five
1: after you finish binging is going into those other mediums do they add to the experience or do they sour them
0: uh well the dexter early cuts i don't think they're necessary to watch they're basically just animated web series that's in a two and a half d style animation that kind of have younger dexter moments not not too young like college age dexter moments of early killings that he had it doesn't really add anything like you kind of find out how he got his boat Uh, it's not it's not necessary it's almost like Han Solo you know what I mean like you you didn't need Solo and learn how you got the millennium falcon how he got mm-hmm. those dice how he got his last name like yeah you know the same thing with dexter early cuts you don't need it because what you already have is good enough uh, the comic book not necessary it's written by jeff Lindsay. i don't think it's directly tied to the series so it's not really worth it i heard it's not even that good anyways i haven't read them but it's, it's not reviewed favorably and the books season one takes a lot from the first book and after that Both of them go completely different directions. I like the first book. I think it's a different interpretation of season one that you can actually read and get a little bit something afterwards. The other books can be hit or miss. They're easy reads, so if you want to read them, go for it, but I don't think you're going to get anything out of those books that help add to the show because they're so different. Even Dexter himself is really different. Like his indifferentness in the books is much more intense and unlikable in comparison to the show. Because in the show, you really start to see Dexter develop emotion. And that's the thing about Dexter. He always talks about how he can't really feel things. If he he could feel things, he would feel it for Deb because he really cares for her. He just doesn't know how or doesn't think he's capable of feeling for her but he'll always have her back. And Harry, who was such a good adopted father to him, he would believe he could love, he just doesn't know how to. And in the books, there's just none of that, you know? It's just very hollow. So I don't see the point in, in going into the books. The video um, games, I never play the video games. Mm- I, I can't comment on the video games, but they don't really add to the... Ex- they were just like games to promote the show.
1: Would you want a reboot or a continuation series? Like, do you feel that there's Like any unresolved plot line you want to see covered.
0: I mean, they tied up all the loose ends. Dexter has one of the most controversial series finales of all time mm-hmm. people feel one way about it I'm on the side that is n- not really happy with how it ended because for me the show got to the point where it was like this is about Dexter Morgan and his son Harrison and at the end of the series those two get separated it just really rubbed me the wrong way now we live in a world of reboots mm-hmm. so every every few years it gets brought up is there a possibility we're going to bring Dexter back Michael C. Hall says first he was hesitant now it's more like well if someone Something's presented to him, I think he would be Uh on board. And we have to remind ourselves that Michael C. Hall did serve as an executive producer for multiple seasons for the show. So he would have a stake in this like he really deeply cared about this show and this character. He he played it so well. If there's a story there I think Showtime and Michael C. Hall will definitely want to make it happen. So that's where I think it stands right now. And if I had to play, if I had to decide what I want the story to be, it has to be Dexter reuniting with Harrison so obviously you would have to age up Harrison a bit at this point he'd be a teenager so I don't know how well that would work to be honest with you I would like to see an adult Harrison maybe like freshman in college Harrison it, it's a challenge because the way the series ended is it's kind of like you really put Dexter in a tough spot I, I just don't know how you reconcile that it's it really really Fifth. is tough if, if, so it the only mm-hmm. other option I can possibly think of is Dexter not looking for Harrison, but Harrison looks for Dexter.
1: And that was going to pitch you. That was my pitch to you. Oh, that was your
0: pitch? Okay.
1: But then again, in my head, I run to the cliches. I mean, how is he going to find him? Why would he go after him unless mm-hmm. he's a cadet in Quantico going into being the FBI? You know, maybe maybe there was something
0: that the person who raised him said that makes him think that his dad is still alive. Maybe something slipped up. You know, like there could be a number of things at the age of 18 or something. She or he, whoever's taking care of him, I don't want to give that away, tells him something that, oh, your father is actually alive. Now it's up to you what you want to do with that information. You know, there could be a number of ways to approach that. I mean, his caretakers die and on their deathbed, they tell him your dad's actually alive. Go find him. I don't know. (laughs) No,
1: no, His connection would be quinn yeah i
0: know we didn't get to touch on a lot of the side characters because honestly the side characters just aren't that interesting yeah but joey joey quinn is is one character that you that could be brought in
1: you could (laughs) redeem his character so what if i said that Melissa Rosenberg and uh, daniel sarone came back to give dexter a proper ending
0: if you bring the old gang back together How's it? I mean, how would it not get you excited? You know what I mean. I don't think retconning is ever the answer. We've seen how that works in some film franchises, and that's the whole point of our show because we're yeah. going to visit some of those film franchises uh-huh. that did a lot of retconning. And 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 for us, I mean, the goal of the show is to try to help navigate with you, like what would be worth your time and what's not worth your time. What are all these alternative viewing experiences that that you would want to get the most out of? And, and so, no, I I I guess. That was a long way of me saying, like, no, I don't I don't think getting the game back together or do some retconning is is the best idea.
1: Who do you think would really enjoy Dexter?
0: I think anyone who likes likable anti-heroes would really be on board with a show. You think of people who watch shows like The Boys Breaking Bad then something like Dexter could be right up the rally. There is violence, but it's not too violent. There is blood, but it's not disgusting. That makes sense. It's it's almost, uh-huh. it's not as artistic in the way that Hannibal did it, but it's still much more maligned than, let's say, American Gods has done it. <laughs> I just used uh-huh. two Brian Fuller shows, but that, that's just the kind of, those are just the the two that popped into my head. The boys can be pretty bloody, but it's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> just, just from the dramas. Sense like it, it's it's blood, but it's but it's still very clean because Dexter doesn't actually like the sight of blood, uh, and so he he's a very clean person for obvious reasons. Some serial killers are very clean. People who are interested in serial killers would definitely enjoy watching this show because it does seem to follow the very basic patterns of what a psychopath, serial mm-hmm. killer type of person follows, and you do learn a little bit throughout the show of what uh, police forces look into when trying to find these types of people and learning about their characteristics and patterns so there is uh, some interest interest in that if you if you like shows like Mindhunter that's a, that's another example I forgot I wrote that one down uh-huh And The Outsider, the latest uh, HBO miniseries from the Stephen King adaptation. I mean, if there's like movies, if you're so into serial killers, I guess you can watch the one called Dahmer starring Jeremy Renner. He won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Actor that year. He was actually one of the top choices, if not the top choice to originally play Dexter, but he decided not to because he didn't want to play another serial killer. In fact, Jeff Lindsay, he wasn't excited about Michael C. Hall because he saw Michael C. Hall respecting him as an actor from Six Feet Under, but he wasn't sold on him. Michael C. Hall pretty much read one line and from there, Jeff Lindsay knew right away this is the guy who's meant to play Dexter. But yeah, there's a fun little fact right there that Jeremy Renner was one of the original choices to play Dexter. So Dahmer, check that out if you haven't already seen it. That way you can kind of get an idea of maybe what they were trying to look for originally. If you want to look for something more bloody, Hannibal is a good choice. Absolutely. Mads Mikkelsen is great as Hannibal Lecter. Hugh Dancy putting in his best work as Will Graham. It's a really great show three seasons, if you don't want to watch three seasons of that show, just watch the movie Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. because that is one of the best horror type movies of the last 30 years. You get not one but two serial killers in the movie and it really is a fantastic movie. One best picture. Yeah, strong recommendation there for Silence of the Lambs and and I would say definitely look into Hannibal and see if that's up your alley. It's a lot more bloody. It's a lot more slow theatric, artistic. Mm-hmm. To me I always said it's like watching one beautiful painting do you have any
1: criminal minds it is a, a little bit um, periodical each week new different case but each serial killer is creepier than the next I strongly recommend anything written by um cast member um, Matthew Gray uh, Gubler which his cases are completely creepy like the one serial killer who made a marionettes out of living humans utterly disturbing it's unnerving but yet still sanitized
0: even those procedural criminal Criminal Minds is probably the one that is the closest to Dexter in a way because mm-hmm. all I've been talking about is the character of Dexter. I didn't get into the supporting characters mm-hmm. for a reason because I just didn't find that interesting. But the way they were incorporated into the show is because they're solving cases, they're mm-hmm. solving crimes, you know? They're detectives after all. This is a police department. So it, it would be worth noting that. Criminal Minds. That's a that's a good one. Dexter does have his own type of procedurals going on. Uh, you have Angel Batista, and I didn't mention Sergeant Dokes earlier, but then from season three and on, you have Joey Quinn who's involved, and then Deborah Morgan, of course, uh, and then you have Vince Masuka, who's one of the other forensics people uh, who works with Dexter. And you have their lieutenant, Maria LaGuarda. There is a well put together team, and they're not bad characters. I just don't care about them as much as Dexter. So it was always hard for me to, it's hard for me to talk about the show without Dexter, but. There's plenty of crimes to be solved that do get solved by the detectives. So you do get your taste of procedural when you're watching the show. So that's why I think your criminal mind suggestion is actually a, a its a good enough recommendation. Yeah.
1: If you want that stor- sort of storytelling, but you just can't go to that extreme, I think this is a nice little substitute where True. you can be like, okay, I can if get you- my fix without completely ruining every time closing my... And i was trying to fall asleep. Yeah, if you
0: don't want to see a body chopped up with all the blood drained out, then <laughs> Criminal Minds it is not the show might be the for you. Criminal not the show for you. <laughs> show for you. <laughs> That's why CBS exists, right? <laughs> to water it down for us. <laughs> True.
1: All right, so we'll be right back with our final thoughts.
0: Welcome back to our final thoughts. Romeo, this was a different one here because I'm the guest, you're the host. What mm-hmm. was it like doing this experience for the first time?
1: I'm um, a little nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie. As you know, I feel like as the host, you have to come off as somewhat of an expert in the subject. And I was open in the episode that I couldn't get past the first episode on the CBS Air version because it was just too gory for me. That, I mean, I do my research. I want to put that out there. I did my research. I read articles but yeah it was nerve wracking but fun I enjoyed it how did it feel for you though as being the sole guest
0: it felt pretty good it felt good to just sit back and talk about the show freely without having to worry about getting the show to move along because that's left up to you and I look forward to doing it again next season
1: did you feel pressure to come up with the right answer to sort of guide people through
0: yeah a little bit it's something that for me at least everything I said I wanted to be sure that I actually said it correctly. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to misinterpret anything that character actions that happened in the show. I didn't want to mislead, say something that happened in an episode when it actually happened in this episode. I was very conscious of that. So like you, you, how you said you did your research, I also made sure I did my research and make sure I just wasn't going off of memory of a show that, to be honest, I haven't watched in a few years. Uh, I I, I didn't do a recent rewatch to prepare myself for this. I, I instead read articles, I watched some videos, YouTube essays, you know, things like that to just kind of refresh the memory, your usual YouTube clip montages of the best scenes with this character and this character. So so that was my refresher of of, of doing this recording. From re-listening to the episode and and doing some fact-checking, ah, no, I I think I nailed it. (laughs) So I was was actually pretty relieved with that, because I am a little bit of perfectionist, just so people understand. We did this recording a little while ago, and between me working full-time and being a perfectionist while editing, it takes a long time. It takes it's a lot of sweat <laughs> and sometimes frustrations when you're putting a, a, just one episode together. So it was it's really important for me to make sure that everything sounds good and, and everything is correct, or at least to the best of our knowledge, where we can just go back. So far, so good between Mad Men and Dexter, we haven't sounded like idiots, at least from my perspective. Okay, do you have any more thoughts about the episode?
1: Yeah, I, I will say this: after talking about doing the research, I might be open give it a try because it is interesting I mean you had great characters in the show I mean the Trinity Killer with John Lithgow he's an amazing actor everything he's done Lightning. is like he's, I think after Third Reich seems like he's going through kind of a renaissance I want to give a try but still it's the gore factor that makes me a little bit cautious
0: totally fair but I mean hey if you really wanted to you could just watch that season four by itself I mean if you were That's just true. so interested in seeing John Lithgow all right so now that we're done reflecting on the episode we just wanted to fact check thing that I noticed while listening to the episode Romeo you perplexly said Julie Benz was in defiance well you were correct she was one of the main characters for three seasons the show was on and fun fact another Dexter alum pardon my tits herself Jamie Murray was also on the show she played Lila Dexter's love interest in season two she stole Dexter away from Julie Benz that season for a little while the other thing I wanted to note I was talking about retconning and I was thinking how it's not really fair to the listeners to just assume they that they know what retconning is. So Uh uh, retconning means that it's retroactive continuity. Retcon for short, it's a literary device in which established facts in the plot of a fictional work are adjusted or they're ignored or contradicted by subsequently published work, which breaks continuity with the former. There's many examples across media of that. Most notably of recent memory, which is something you and I are going to touch on Uh in season one, is X-Men. That is what retconning is. It's just something where you're just going back, ignoring plot lines that are already set up. Because Romeo mentioned, like, what if you get the old team back together from the start of Dexter to finish off the series to give it a more satisfying ending? And I said, well, I don't really believe, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to retcon Dexter. It just is what it is at this point. So I just wanted to uh, have the listeners know what what we meant by that. Those were the only two things. And we do have a couple fan comments. Nothing specifically from the mailbag, just a couple fan comments from people who reached out to me personally about the show. We have Justine who said she subscribed, wanted to let me know about that. So that I thought that was cool. Thanks for subscribing, Justine. Hope you listen weekly. Charlie said he shot us a subscription as well and is happy that we're doing the show. And Jeremy said he listened to the first episode and he can't wait to hear the next one. So oh. thanks, Jeremy, for listening. We have quite a few listens, not, not a ton, but enough to be mm-hmm. proud of. I'll let you know after we're done okay. recording Romeo how many people have listened, because I think you'll be surprised by the number i'm surprised by the number <laughs> really okay yeah for how how new this is to get oh, as wow. many listeners yeah, yeah i think you'll be surprised by the number thank you guys for listening thanks for reaching out hope you guys continue to be loyal supporters of the show if you are subscribed on apple Podcasts with us give us a five-star review that is the thing that helps us the most that's what helps the algorithms make us more relevant if you have time and you want to leave a review five stars is the way to do it i'd be really much greatly appreciated and to listen you guys know that if you want to reach out to us the best way to do it would be by email we have our email binge essentials at gmail.com that's binge essentials at gmail.com glad that was available nice and simple easy to remember (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> our name isn't groundbreaking, so I really thought for whatever reason that would be taking. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to create a social media account and you think, yes. oh, maybe Romeo Moral is easily going to be available, right? And it's like, nope, nope sorry, not available. Nope, yeah.
1: I understand fully how hard it is. Circle is real.
0: <laughs> it's such a first world problem. It's like, I it just is. Use...
1: <laughs> it is. But you know what? Tool. I'm allowed one real world problem in this pandemic.
0: This is the hill you're going to die on. That's your one, huh? That's, that's my Oh, man. We did start up an Instagram account. Uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to mention it, but I think I will. You can find our Instagram at uh, Binge Essentials. We don't have anything posted yet. That's going to be a work in progress. Romeo and myself, if you've ever listened to us on our old radio show, which I'd be surprised if you're a listener who also listened to our radio show back in the day. We're very open about being really bad at social media. We're going to try to get better for uh, Instagram. I think eventually we'll have a Facebook page. But for right now, we do have the Instagram and it's at Binge Essentials. All right. Next week's episode is X-Men. That's right. We're taking a crack at our first film franchise with X-Men. We'll see how it goes. Hope you guys enjoy that discussion. Okay, thanks so much. See you guys next week.